attributable to human error. Hello and welcome to Fresh Air. I'm Joe. I'm Dave. I'm Martin. I'm Chris. And I'm Andy. And tonight we're on our next chapter of ethics and moral theories. You remember last week we covered off act utilitarianism, and tonight we are going to be covering off preference satisfaction utilitarianism, which is another consequentialist moral theory. So if you've forgotten what a consequentialist moral theory is, it's simply the consequences of our actions determine the level of morality. Dave, what is preference satisfaction utilitarianism? It's a theory very much along the same lines as utilitarianism in the fact that it's the greatest number of X for the greatest amount of people, where in preference satisfaction theory, X is meeting people's needs and preferences. So an action is moral when it satisfies the needs and preferences of the most amount of people that it can. So rather than a scale of pleasure, it's looking more at just like like needs, as you say, and preferences. So we could be uh, looking at, say, if we're talking about needs, everybody needs food. You might not always get pleasure out of food. In fact, you could have we're trying to feed 100 people. They don't necessarily have to have an enjoyable meal, but if they get the sustenance they need, it would fulfill that. Yeah, we've all been on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what I was asking about last week when I was saying about the synopsis of utilitarianism, as far as I've been aware, has always been the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Sort of, except it's not so much outweighing the needs of the few. It's just making sure that as many needs are met as possible in any action and preferences. And say, going back now to your criticism last week for utilitarianism, where denying rights to the LGBTQ community would be a moral act in utilitarianism. In preference satisfaction utilitarianism, that wouldn't be the case because by denying the rights to the LGBTQ community, you wouldn't be meeting their preferences. It wouldn't be the preferences of those opposed to LGBTQ, but they're not the ones directly affected by the removal of the rights. So we're looking at sort of first level consequence here. So by denying rights to someone that's, you know, even if they're a minority, that would outweigh in preference satisfaction the subsequent annoyance that it might cause the people who want to deny the rights, even if they're in the majority. Pretty much. I mean, it's it's obviously a bit more complicated than that. Um but yeah, it's first-order preferences rather than second-order preferences. That sounds a lot more fair. It does. Um, it's To be honest, it's one of the moral theories that I tend to lean towards simply because it does such a much better job of being a representation of morality than simple utilitarianism. That's not to say it doesn't have its faults, though, obviously. What do you think some of the key problems with it are? 
some of the key problems that have been brought up are things like preferences change. So imagine somebody sits down at a restaurant and orders a strawberry cheesecake. The waiter brings them the strawberry cheesecake, but in the meantime, the person who ordered the food has decided that they would rather have a chocolate sponge cake. So theoretically, the waiter handing them the strawberry cheesecake would be behaving immorally because he wouldn't be meeting those preferences or satisfactions. It's obviously a reductio ad absurdum, but it holds nevertheless. But there's some there's obviously an amount of time before before the actions carried out because the preference at the time of ordering would have been the strawberry cheesecake. It's but there's obviously some time before uh, before carrying out that action where the preference can change. Uh, shouldn't shouldn't there be a um, shouldn't it be? I could, I'm not quite sure how to word it. But do you, do you understand what I'm getting at? Are you trying to put like a time scale on it? Like, you know, they have the opportunity within, say, five, ten minutes to change their their mind. I think what you're saying there, that would probably be the most logical way, but that's not necessarily how it works in its raw form. And considering that we're looking at consequentialism, surely the person who has changed their mind after their act should be looking at, well the consequence of their act is the fact that they've got the strawberry cheesecake and kind of tough. Yeah, I sort of agree with, say, with like both of you that, you know, there is a time passes where that preference can't be met because you've already put another preference in action. And yeah, look cons- at, let's look at Brexit, for, inst- for instance. That's a great example. Whereas we've all voted, well, seven, what, 17.4 million people voted for Brexit which was the majority at the time. We, so many years has passed. We don't know how many of those people have changed their mind since then, and we haven't even gone through with Brexit yet. Yeah, so theoretically going through with Brexit now could be considered immoral if all those preferences have changed. And equally, people have tried to put in changes and call for another vote, but we haven't been allowed to. Because voting's uh, undemocratic, apparently. <laughs> On the other hand, taking it back to the um, the restaurant example, we can assume that the waiter would prefer the customer to keep to his preference. So isn't it actually the customer who's being immoral by changing their preference? That's a very good point. And another point that's raised in the same criticism of preference satisfaction utilitarianism because preferences change like that and it's a two-way street in some cases it's hard to pin down the morality of the action based on the preferences simply due to those changing preferences like i say it, it does have its faults but i think it does a much better job than simple act utilitarianism you could take it to an even more extreme reductio ad absurdum than the restaurant example as well. You could say that in the heat of an argument, are you preferred to stab somebody and go to jail for it? And then when the policeman shows up on my door, well, actually, I'd prefer to not go to jail. So he's being immoral to put me in prison. <laughs> It's exactly the same process of logic as the restaurant example, is it not? It is, although by stabbing somebody else, 
even if you preferred to stab them, their preference would be to not be stabbed. So you would have committed an immoral action because you have gone against their preferences. Fair. But we could take it to a victimless crime example and it would still hold true. Oh, yeah. Yeah, basically. Again, it it has its faults. It's Uh, a pretty new theory, so it tends to need some work. I was going to say that the... uh... The waiter would have preferred you not to change your mind as well. So, Yeah, like Martin said, you know, they, like I say, it has its faults. There's also something like, when you were in school, did you like going to school and like getting an education? Yes. Oh, no, I, I hated school. Uh, there wasn't much of it that I, I liked at all, but I've enjoyed giving myself an education outside of school. Okay, so... By making you go to school when you were younger, people were actually being immoral to you. But the case really is that you should have preferred to go to school, even if you didn't, because education is important. Education could also have been a hell of a lot better, but I get your point. Oh, yeah, but that shows us not that education isn't something that people should prefer, it shows us that the education system itself needs work. One could bring up the fact that you could, if your child doesn't want to go to school, homeschool. Yeah, but if the child preferred not to get an education, preference satisfaction utilitarianism would say forcing them to have an education would be immoral because it goes against their preferences. So, you know, like, the homeschool is a good option, and if they enjoyed it. But there's an objective list of things that people should prefer, say. Like education, being housed, food. In the case of an anorexic, an anorexic would prefer not to eat. But we could probably make a good argument that it would be immoral to let them starve to death when we could help them. You could probably say that they'd prefer not to be anorexic more than they'd prefer to not eat. Yeah, so it's complicated and it does need work. But like I say, you know, it's, it's actually, it seems to represent morality much better than act utilitarianism. These lists uh, of what well, this list of things that people should value are they all things with intrinsic value like education and let's say good relationships? That's sort of the idea behind it that whatever is on this list would be valued in and of itself. So freedom is something that could be objectively preferred to slavery. So even if a person thought they preferred to be a slave, we could say that there's probably something wrong with their thinking because they should prefer freedom. Happiness is something that people should prefer. You know, that kind of thing. Like you were saying, stuff with intrinsic value. Is there anything that doesn't have that intrinsic value that you think people should still that's a good question um people should probably prefer to get a job that pays their rent and buys them food to keep them alive rather than sitting at home and starving but surely that has intrinsic value as well does it not because it would be instrumental because doing the work 
allows you to get the money, which allows you to get the food or find happiness, you know, that kind of thing. It's not a value in and of itself. But one could also say that the only real value being spoken to there is the shelter and food. It doesn't actually matter if you've got a job to provide the money. You could have won the lottery or inherited a chunk. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's just Joe was asking if there's anything that might have instrumental value that people should prefer. And not fringe cases where you're in the situation like you've won the lottery. Yeah, it's that you could say that there is in stuff with instrumental value that people should prefer. Although, you know, obviously winning the lottery is definitely something that people should prefer rather than working. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, but the chance of winning the lottery is a lot slimmer than the chance of getting a job and paying your way. And I'm sure many of us would prefer not to have to work and to be able to do everything that we wanted without having to do those things. I just have a little bit of an issue with the word should when it's applied in that way. I understand where you're coming from. It's just one of those words which kind of rubs me slightly wrong, if you know what I mean. Well, there's actually a lot of psychology around words like should and shouldn't. You should go to school. You should eat a healthy diet of salad. You shouldn't have a cake and you shouldn't eat lots of chips. You know, all the things that you should and shouldn't do, there is a negative connotation to the things that we should be doing. And there's almost a, a positive, there's a, a an element of pleasure from all the things that we shouldn't be doing. So when your parents are telling you should do this, you should tidy your room, you should make sure you do your homework, you shouldn't be going out at all hours, you shouldn't, you know, take drugs, you shouldn't be eating all that fast food. From a very young age, we're programmed to have an issue with the things that we should be doing and to gravitate towards the things that we shouldn't be doing. So it's completely natural that you don't like being told what you should be doing, Chris. Yeah, that might well be a part of it. It's just, it seems there's a better way to phrase it, and I'm just not sure what that way is. Well, you should know, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) You're just a rebellious shit, that's what it is. (laughs) There is that as well. No, but I I understand what you you mean, because I I remember being at at work and and this... um, I don't know if it's like a psychology test or whatever, but there's there's a a, a, a stream of like comments like uh, the the question is how how you're expected to be at work and how you feel you are at work and you're supposed to tick the boxes for all these different things and it said you should do this and you should do or you are you know all that sort of stuff and um, the idea is that they should kind of match up and like they, they do they put it, they graph it up at the end and mine was kind of opposite. And usually that means there's some really, it's something bad's going on and you're not happy at work at all. So I got pulled into the room and uh, this, this person from HR said, um, we've, we've seen this and it's sort of, is everything all right with the job? I says, yeah, it's fine. Nothing wrong with it at all. So because this is, this, this uh, reflecting on this, it should be, it means you're kind of unhappy. I said, no, I'm, I'm fine. I just, I had, a, I had a problem with the word expected. I'm not expected to do that I should well I shouldn't be expected to do that and that and that I all I should be expected to do at work is to come in do my job and go home but 
you know, it's just the way that it, I, I totally so I totally get what you mean about uh, about things like that. I I I feel I shouldn't have to be expected to do all of these different things, you know, at work. But yeah, you could say that with any word though, even if you rephrased it with "you ought to want to have an education," it might not have the same impact as the word "should" might, because obviously your parents would have used words like should your teachers would have used words like should yeah you know work as you say andy might use things like you're expected to do this and you should do that and so on and but so the only difference is you've got a contract with work and whatever's in your contract is what that's that's what you're expected to do and that's that's kind of the only difference uh, with that well yeah and that's what you've agreed to do you actually have a contract of yes these are the things i have agreed to do and why should I have to do anything above that to meet expectations? Yeah, I agree with you on that. But but the all these words rub people the wrong way. And I, I don't even know if, if I turned around and used the words ought instead of should, would that maybe have less of a, a an irritant vibe to it? It wouldn't for me. I don't think using a synonym is changing it in the way that personally rubs me wrong with it. I only bring up should and shouldn't as examples because they're the ones which are being used at the moment. Ought is essentially the same thing. If it was phrased in a way like it would be more beneficial to do instead of you should do, then it would certainly rub me the wrong way less. Would it not be prudent to say that humans in general should or ought to want to do things that better them in the long term, though? Possibly. <laughs> when we speak about stuff like this, what we mean is that any rational person in the right frame of mind would prefer these things. Does that make sense? And kids are largely not rational. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense, Dave. So, like, let, let me use probably an example that might seem less controversial or might seem more controversial to some people. People should prefer to get a vaccine. Yeah, I do see where you're coming from, Dave, and do agree that it's probably the easiest word to use instead of being all convoluted and saying it would be more beneficial every time. Yeah. I probably have less of an issue with it than I'm presenting at the moment, but I know a lot of people do have a real problem with it. I have been blocked by people on Facebook in debate groups for actually using the word before. It's that whole expectation thing again, though. People don't like people having specific expectations of them. It comes across as if you're ordering somebody to do something. But when we're talking about these kinds of subjects, you really do have to remember that it's uh, basically morality is, is a set of suggestions. Basically, what we need to conclude is shouldn't be so contrarian when we're trying to do shorter episodes. <laughs> <laughs> or just qualify the should with probably should. Less of an effect. Then, isn't it? That's quite true actually how about just do what i damn well say <laughs> but not as you do <laughs> yeah basically so yeah preference satisfaction has its problem considering chris's preference for the, not saying the word should yeah <laughs> <laughs>
And th there is one more that probably should be covered. We discussed this off air not so long ago. And it goes back to having a list of preferences that people should prefer given the option. In, say, in certain countries, there might be a social structure in place where a woman would prefer not to get an education because women are seen as people that should be taking care of the home and raising the children, not getting an education. Where all things considered, those people probably would prefer an education if that was on the table. So if we have this objective list and this person goes against it by saying, no, I prefer not to have this thing because in my country, this would cause me problems. It might be looked on as if the person was behaving immorally or irrationally, but when all things are considered in their situation, the preference that they've chosen probably is the best one for them given the circumstances. Yeah, fair, that makes sense. So what what's at fault then is society and what should be looked at is the social structures themselves rather than the actions of the individual. Yeah, it's it's back to the whole school problem that we, we just discussed, where you know people not wanting to go to school is largely based on the way the school worked, rather than necessarily having an issue with getting an education. I think yeah. it's more to do with the, the kids. They, they're largely, they just want to have fun, don't they? They, they feel like um, it, it's not... It's, not fun for them so I, well, I suppose it does go it lead into the the, uh, the way that they do get educated then if it's not fun for them maybe it should be fun for them so yeah but you know uh, there's many ways we could change the school system just as there's many ways we could change a society to make the preferences uh, more palatable but completely opposite things because i distinctly remember i had the most fun at school in science class when there were explosions and we should definitely be having more explosions in school and less in general society. Were they, <laughs> were they controlled or did you just decide to mix a few different chemicals together? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily enough, what, I, what I'm studying at the moment is emotions. And one of the things that they say is that unless something grabs us or interests us, in some way to peak some kind of emotion like excitement, happiness, anger, our attention won't stay focused on that thing. So that does make sense. If you made school that slight bit more fun, that slight bit more exciting, the emotions of the pupil would be captured enough to want to get that education. I think we can go back to favorite teachers that we had, I'm sure all of us tried the hardest and enjoyed and you know did our best to understand the subjects that we enjoyed the most and quite often the subjects we enjoyed the most were the ones where we had the best teachers not necessarily the subject that was the best it was the one that we had the teacher engage with us in a way that really suited us they were a bit more down to earth they were a bit more realistic they might have occasionally swore or told a rude joke or something that you know the other teachers were sit down shut up copy off the board 
Uh, you're not keeping up. You need to keep up. You need to write faster. You need to write faster. You know, uh, this is boring. I'm not learning anything. I'm completely disengaged. Whereas you have that guy who's creating those different mnemonics for you to remember how to do a damn silly triangle. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, no, I can remember that one really well. And yeah, as you say, it, 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 they, they're giving you something to hold on to. They're engaging you in, in different ways. They're making it more interesting there. Yeah. Or well, the teacher was fit. No, I find that distracting. It did make me enjoy the class a bit more and, and, and want to go on. But yeah, those sorts of ones, all you remember is boobs. No, I, I learned a lot in the classes where the teacher was fit. Was that about biology or about the actual subject you're supposed to be studying? Though? <laughs> or just how to hide an erection. I tended to just try and lift the desk with it. <laughs> yeah, many times she looked at the door to see who was knocking. <laughs> so coming back to preference satisfaction, is there anything else you think we need to cover off, Dave? Not that I can think of. That, that basically sums it up. I mean, with all of these short, quick burst podcasts, I'll put in some links and reading material to anybody that actually wants to follow up on any of this anyway. And anyone that is listening into these uh, bit part week on week, if you do want to get ahead and listen to the next one before everyone else, we do have all of these uploaded to our Patreon site. There will be links for that with all of the podcasts on the Answers in Reason site. So that's answers-in-reason.com. And if you become a Patreon, you could have direct access to us and ask us direct questions. Yeah, definitely. In fact, we are going to have specific uh, WhatsApp groups which you can join. You can even join us on air, depending on what package. They're all explained on our Patreon page as well. Yeah, you get to listen in to us record a podcast and get all the bollocks that we cut out. Well done. Congratulations. and just remember you're going to be putting dave through university and therefore giving us far more topics to discuss so therefore giving you more pleasure and if we go through utilitarianism hedonism or even the preference satisfaction by paying for a patron uh, subscription you are being moral you forgot my summer hope And if you subscribe to Hedonism, you'll also be buying nicer alcohol for Joe and I to drink while we're recording. <laughs> yeah, because at the moment I'm on the piss lasser. I'm on nicer side of a normal, but only because I live close to a co-op and couldn't go out any further. <laughs> right, well, thank you everybody for listening in. Next week we'll be covering off welfare utilitarianism. You've been listening to Fresh Air. I'm Joe. I'm Dave. I'm Rodane. I'm Chris. And I'm Andy. Good night. Good night. Love you. Good night. Yeehaw.